You are listening to The Body Podcast, brought to you by Stephanie Fransén. Hi everyone and welcome to this new episode. Today we're going to talk about sodium and water balance. So I have an expert with me on the subject today. I would like to introduce Associate Professor Kelly Hindman from the Division of Nephrology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Steph. So good to be here. Perfect. So uh, let the listeners know who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Kelly Hindman. Um, like uh, Stephanie just said, I'm a new associate professor here at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And I am in a clinical division of nephrology, but I have trained as a comparative physiologist. And so for my whole career, I've been really interested in how the body can handle changes in salt and water intake, whether that was a fish that migrates through different salinities of water, or if it's a human who has a salt sensitive hypertension, my lab is really interested in understanding what are the mechanisms that lead us to either retain salt and water or excrete salt and water. And so I am a basic scientist interested in mechanisms. And um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Perfect. So sodium and water balance, we're talking about the fluid we have in our different uh, fluid compartments, of course, and the ratio basically between sodium and water in these compartments. So tell me the basics of like, we're talking about plasma osmolality, right? And blood volume. So tell me about it. So our bodies are composed of 60% of our weight is water or fluid that is in our body. And it is in different compartments in our body. Um, We have what's called our extracellular fluid. This is the salt and water that sort of bathes our cells. And then we have our intracellular compartment, which is the volume and salts inside our cells. Our extracellular fluid is also broken down into two different compartments, the interstitial fluid, which again is around our cells, and then our plasma. And so our intracellular and extracellular compartments have different constituents. For example, sodium is very high in our extracellular compartment. It's about 140 millimoles per liter, where on the inside, on the intracellular compartment, we have about 140 millimoles per liter of potassium. And so our body works hard to keep these compartments with the right amount of fluid in them, but also the correct electrolytes in them. And that's what drives you know, our nerves that signal, that's what drives the way our cardiac muscles contract, our skeletal muscles, all of our, our different cells in our bodies need appropriate levels of salts and water in order to function properly. And so our body has evolved a lot of mechanisms in order for us to retain salt and water, right? Because we live on land, this is a pretty arid environment, meaning we're constantly losing water to our environment because it's dry out here on land. And so our kidneys are really important in that. They are what reabsorb 99% of the water and the salt that is filtered. So our kidneys filter 180 liters of our blood per day. Um, So that's about 60 times our complete blood volume gets filtered. 
And of course, when we filter our blood, we're getting rid of various metabolites and things that we need to excrete in our urine to get out of our bodies. But we also end up filtering a lot of water and a lot of salts, and we need to reabsorb those. And so on average, an individual, a healthy individual will produce about a liter and a half of urine per day, give or take their intake. And so you'll often hear us talk, physiologists talk about remaining in balance. And what that means is how much water or salt we take in in a day has to equal what we lose for a day, right? So what comes in has to equal what goes out. That's what being in balance is. So if we talk about water and if we're producing a liter and a half of urine a, uh, a day, we also lose water through other sources, things like a little bit with our feces. Um, we lose a bit of water with every breath we take, as well as when we sweat. And so if you add up all those water losses in a day, that adds up to about two and a half liters of water we lose a day. And so that's why we need to drink at least two and a half liters a day. And of course, how much water we lose on a day is each person is different, right? If you're a very active person, and you're sweating all the time, then you're gonna have to drink more water. Or if you're somebody who lives in a very dry environment, again, you're probably losing a lot more water through each breath and through your skin, so you might have to drink more water. So the whole idea is when you're thirsty, you should drink. Your body is very good at letting you know when you need water. Now, of course, if you have any underlying medical conditions or certain um, genetic diseases, or even if you're on certain medications, you should drink more water or less water, just depending on what your doctor advises. So salt's kind of similar too. We get a lot of salt from our diet, unfortunately, these days. Historically, um, our ancestors probably ate more fresh fruits and vegetables. Now we can go to the store and buy pretty much any meal you want already prepared. And they have a lot of preservatives in them and salt makes a great preservative. So we, a lot of times, eat a lot more salt than we realize we're eating. There's a lot of salt in, say, chicken, a lot of salt in bread. And so, again, our kidney had evolved to retain sodium because, historically, sodium was hard to find. And it's such an important electrolyte in that extracellular compartment we were talking about that we need a lot of sodium. But now, because our diets are so high in sodium and our kidney is still good at retaining sodium, we have a problem where we often are retaining too much sodium. And one thing to keep in mind is generally when your kidney is reabsorbing sodium, water also follows. And so we end up reabsorbing more salt and water than we need in our body. And that can lead to what we call a volume expanded state and can lead to an increase in blood pressure. And probably everybody who's listening is well aware that having a high blood pressure can lead to a lot of different diseases, especially increase your risk for cardiovascular disease, strokes, heart attacks, other sorts of issues. Um, and so it's really important that we try to maintain a healthy blood pressure, which these days is, should be below 120, um, a systolic of 120 millimeters of mercury and a diastolic of 60 millimeters of mercury. Um, and so watching how much salt you intake can help with that. Perfect. So let's talk about two very important mechanisms to control the, the amount of fluid in the compartments are correct and that the plasma osmolality is correct. So I'm referring to the osmoreceptors and the baroreceptors. Yeah, so 
when we um, think about water balance, um, generally what we're talking about is our plasma osmolality. And so what this is, is this is the number of, of uh, osmotically active particles or solutes in our blood uh, or in our plasma as it relates to the amount of water. And for humans, this is around 285 milliosmoles per liter. And this number is very well maintained in our body, okay? So we have osmoreceptors in our brain that can actually, it's almost like they can taste how much, how many particles are in our plasma. They can measure, they can determine whether or not our plasma osmolality changes by as low as one milliosmol per liter. So that's a really tight regulation. So in that case, what happens, let's say we had just gone outside on a warm day and done a really nice hike and not drank any water, okay? What happens is you're gonna lose water through sweat and that's gonna increase the osmolality of your plasma, okay? Because you've lost water, but not salts. So you have less water. So it's gonna be more concentrated, more salty. And what happens is that is gonna increase your plasma osmolality. That will be sensed by these osmoreceptors and they will signal to your hypothalamus and pituitary to release a hormone called arginine vasopressin, which in the clinic they call antidiuretic hormone, which will then circulate to your kidneys and act very quickly within, within minutes to um, activate water reabsorption by your kidney. And so the way it does that is this hormone, arginine vasopressin, binds to the vasopressin 2 receptor on the principal cell of the collecting duct and causes the insertion of these water channels into that principal cell. And what happens is that drives water from your urine, so water you just filtered, back into your body so you keep that water so you don't um, urinate it out. And what will happen is then as you reabsorb more water, that'll start to dilute the salts in your, in your plasma and bring that plasma osmolality back down to a normal level, at which point this is a typical negative feedback loop. Those osmos sensors will no longer um, sense that there's the osmolality is too high, and then it'll stop, um, the brain will stop releasing vasopressin. So that's a very sensitive way that our body functions to maintain the correct amount of water, okay? But there's a second mechanism too. So sometimes, especially in the case of hypovolemic shock, you can have a large loss of extracellular fluid. So in this case, say you got in a really bad car accident and you bleed out a whole bunch and you lose it. So you lose a big volume of blood. Well, we have other receptors, baroreceptors, that can sense that you've lost that volume. And so they are no longer in essence stretched because you've lost this volume. So they can sense that. And that will also cause different hormones in our bodies to be released. It'll lead again to arginine vasopressin to be released, which will cause again, insertion of those water channels and reabsorb as much water as possible. It'll also activate the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. This is a system that helps us retain salt and so you've lost both salt and water when you have a large volume loss like that. So we need to retain both salt and water. And so those systems are activated to try to help the body conserve as much salt and water as possible. And so these are kind of two key mechanisms. The, these baroreceptors though require a fairly large change in volume to be activated. 
unlike the osmoreceptors, those are activated with very small changes. And so it's just sort of a sensitivity between the two that help us remain in salt and water balance. And I think the important thing to remember is because our kidneys are so good at reabsorbing salts and water, when you are after your hike, for example, going to start drinking and eating again, it's really important that you um, have some salt and water at the same time. Because if you just drink free water, your kidney's gonna reabsorb more water than salt and dilute your plasma very quickly. And that can lead to all sorts of neurological uh, disorders, dizziness, seizures, and in extreme cases, um, death. So it's always important. There's sort of a running joke that um, anytime you go on a hike, you should always have Cheez-Its, like a salty little snack, and then water. And that way, when you have salt and water, you'll reabsorb both. And that'll help make sure that you can replenish any fluids you've lost and salts you've lost without diluting your plasma too quickly. Exactly. So I want to go back to when you talked about, we can call it the hypertonic dehydration, when you're insufficient to consume water. So you have an increased level of sodium in your plasma, right? We're yes. hypertonic. Yes. So we've all heard that when you're on a desert island, you're not supposed to drink seawater. Right. Why? Yeah, so seawater is about a thousand milliosmoles per liter or 3% sodium chloride. And so the problem is that, that that salt concentration is greater than our kidneys' ability to um, uh, filter and reabsorb the water out of it. So when you drink something that is so salty, like salt water, you're going to reabsorb large amounts of sodium chloride into your blood. And your kidney, although normally really good at saying, okay, I have enough sodium, let's, let's excrete sodium and, and slow reabsorption. When there's that much, it can't filter the sodium out of your blood fast enough. So you end up increasing that plasma sodium so high that it actually will lead to water being re or drawn out of that intracellular compartment and you will lose even more water. So although you think, okay, this is some, you know, this is a fluid, I'm going to take it in, my kidney can filter it and help me excrete the salt and reabsorb the water, this concentration of salt is far exceeds our kidney's ability to do that. So that's why you can never drink seawater because all you will do is actually dehydrate faster. Exactly. And I, I think that that's the problem that it's hard for some people to understand the difference in where you're actually dehydrated intracellularly yeah. or right. where where is the actual fluid deprivation. Right. So I think that's something that I think, you know, when we're truly talking about dehydration, we're talking about a loss of fluid from both the extracellular and intracellular compartment. I think often people think, oh, okay, if I just lose a little bit of my extracellular fluid, like an isotonic uh, um, loss, then I'm also dehydrated. Well, okay, yes, overall in your body, you have lower volume, but 
there's no osmotic gradient to drive water in or out of your intracellular compartment. And so really you've just, you're just volume deplete. You're not dehydrated. There is a technical difference there. Um, so I think it is, it's hard for people to recognize, but in severe dehydration, you've lost a lot of fluid from both your intracellular and your extracellular compartment. And so then you have to be very careful at restoring those gradients back to normal. And that's why it's important to have salt and water intake, or if you're you know, very sick and in the hospital, they will give you infusions of um, various saline and glucose solutions to help get you back to a, a proper volume state and do it in a very um, safe manner. Because you just don't want to do things too quickly because it can lead, like we said, to various neurological dis um, disorders. Yes, exactly. And like you said, the body is really good at telling us what we need. You can be really, really thirsty and yes. then your body wants water. Yes. But then you can have a severe headache after yes. you've been out in the heat or maybe you had too much alcohol or yeah. so tell me about the headache. What What does that signal? So it's interesting because I think having too much water and having not enough water, a lot of the symptoms are the same. So like headache is the classic example. Both of those conditions can present with headaches. And so I use an example of um, people who are, are obsessed with drinking water. Okay. So again, drinking too much pure water and not taking in any salts um, can also be problematic because much like you can't drink salt water, if you drink too much free water, what happens is your kidney reabsorbs all that free water. There's no salts, you know, you're not intaking any more salt. So it's just pretty much reabsorbing this free water. And that can lead to the dilution of your plasma because our kidneys are so good at holding onto water. And so then you have what we call hypoosmotic or hypotonic your plasma actually has more water than salts in it. And that can also lead to headaches. And so in this condition, which they call psychological polydipsia, it's the idea that you think you're not drinking enough water. And that's why you have, for example, this headache. So you keep drinking more and more water and you exceed the kidney's ability to filter and get rid of that excess water. So you end up diluting your plasma and you get an even worse headache, and then that can continue. And so hyponatremia, this low blood sodium, is a real problem, especially in critically ill patients, um, people in the ICU. You know, um, it's, it's very easy to actually reabsorb too much water because our kidneys are so good at it. And so you just have to be mindful. You know, again, it gets back to what does it mean to be in balance? It's whatever water I'm losing, I should try to replace during the day. And so your brain in a healthy individual is really good at giving you that sensation of, man, I'm thirsty. I should drink some water. And when you feel that way, you should drink a little water, maybe eat a little snack um, and continue to slowly drink water until you don't feel thirsty anymore. And then you won't have to worry about, you know, these side effects like we're talking about. But the flip's truth too, you know, um, you know, it's pretty rare for our blood sodium to get very high. Um, that's called hypernatremia. Hyponatremia is very common, but hypernatremia is pretty rare. But again, that's sort of the same symptoms. You get headaches, you can get seizures. Um, 
But again, in a healthy individual, you will probably never end up with a high plasma sodium. Um, but a low plasma sodium is very easy to obtain if you are drinking water all day long and not eating any salts. Like the hungover part. Yeah. It's a classic headache. Yeah. So there's certain um, things that we do during the day that are going to cause us to lose water, right? So these are things that lead to excess urination, which we call diuretics or diuresis. And so alcohol is a great example. Alcohol actually inhibits the release of arginine vasopressin from the hypothalamus and pituitary. Um, so again, that's that really important hormone that signals to your kidney to reabsorb water. So when we're out having a great night, having a few alcoholic drinks, and if we're not drinking any water and not eating anything salty, what happens is our vasopressin is suppressed. And so you're going to urinate, right? And so I think people, anyone who um, enjoys going to the bar and stuff, it has these little jokes about don't break the seal, you know, like don't go to the bathroom too quick or you'll be going to the bathroom all night. But in reality, that's why alcohol affects you is that it prevents this hormone that is really important for reabsorbing water to not be released. So what happens after your night of, of having a good time is you probably the next morning, you know, you go to bed. So you haven't really been drinking much water, just alcohol. You go to bed. You wake up in the morning and you have a headache, you know, you feel awful. And that's probably because you're, you're volume depleted. And so in your, you probably feel thirsty. And so again, in this situation where you have lost volume and lost salts, you want to be careful that you don't replenish that with just pure water because you can then dilute your plasma too quickly. So that's why they recommend you drink like an electrolyte solution. So Gatorade, Powerade, you know, these days you can buy uh, this product here in the U.S. that I think is so funny. It's called Liquid IV. I mean, it's just expensive Gatorade. <laughs> um, it cracks me up, Liquid IV. Um, and so, but, you know, just again, usually you'll, you'll eat something, drink some water. That's just as good as drinking a Gatorade because you've lost electrolytes and water overnight. And that's led you to be, um, you know, volume depleted and perhaps in extreme cases, even dehydrated. Great. That explains a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think the other interesting one is coffee, right? So coffee too. And I know myself, when I drink coffee in the morning, I, you know, about an hour later have to go to the bathroom. And so there was, there's been some big meta-analyses come out that have said that chronic coffee drinkers actually are not at a greater increase for dehydration because that's the, that was the common thought out there is that if you drink coffee, you are going to, because it's a diuretic, because caffeine again, increases your cardiac output. And, um, they thought maybe at one point it inhibits vasopressin as well. Although I'm not sure that's true that, that I think we need to understand better, but they, they said, you know, it's this, this, this agent that might lead to chronic dehydration. Well, when you look at large, uh, a large number of studies, chronic coffee drinkers are not at a greater risk for dehydration than other individuals. And so maybe that's true. Maybe like anything, you know, our body has the ability to kind of acclimate to its situations. So if you are somebody who drinks coffee all day long, maybe you don't, you know, it's not leading to any greater risk of dehydration. Um, I just know in myself, I definitely, when I drink coffee every morning, 
need to urinate soon after, but I'm also an avid water drinker. So I'm probably, you know, I'm fine. I'm in balance, but um, it's kind of interesting. I think we need some more research into the different, you know, coffees and tea and, and see if these things really are, you know, leading people to have an increased risk of dehydration. In the popular culture, that seems to be a lot of people's fears, that we are all chronically walking around dehydrated, that the Cokes we drink, that the coffee we drink, that the alcohol we drink are all leading us to be chronically dehydrated, and that's leading to all this disease risk. And the reality is, if you look around any street, any classroom, any store, everybody these days walks around with a water bottle, right? You can, first of all, buy bottles of water everywhere now. Everybody's into using these reusable bottles, which I love, you know, decrease our plastic in the environment. So I love it. Um, but we're actually probably going the other way. We're probably almost borderlining drinking too much water because we drink out of habit, not out of our brain and feeling thirsty. So kind of interesting. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it is. And I mean, like you said, out of habit. And I and I also think out of trend, because yeah. a lot of magazines are telling people that you should push your five liters of water every right. day. Yeah, so it's interesting. This two and a half liters, that is here in the US, that was from a document from the 40s, from, the, um, from uh, some federal bureau in our government that was going through and talking about all sorts of things like, you know, what's the best temperature to keep your house at for health, how much water, how many fruits, you know, all these things. And so in there, they talk about how the average healthy individual should try to consume at least two and a half liters of water per day. And that's for the reasons we talked about earlier, which is what that's about how much water the average human loses in a day through urine, sweating, breathing, feces. But what's interesting is the next sentence, which nobody <laughs> seemed to remember. It said, in essence, it says, the body, though, will let you know when you need to drink through thirst. And that's the part everybody forgot about. And everybody focused on, okay, we need to drink at least two and a half liters, three liters, four liters. You know, we need to drink more water because people aren't drinking enough water. Definitely, I'm sure we all know people who never drink water or don't really drink at all during the day. Yes, they probably should watch and monitor how much water they're intaking. But I think the average individual, healthy individual these days is very well hydrated. And so we don't need to worry about that. And that's probably true. I am so not a water drinker and I have no <laughs> problems. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're not the only one. My uh, a good friend down down a couple offices too she likes to use one of those water bottles that has the like you know make sure you drink to here during the day marked on it kind of thing and so for her that's what she needs and that's fine you know there are people out there that should probably drink more water um yes and i think the actual the other interesting thing to me with the explosion of the availability of bottled water how that's really actually, it has been good and it's been bad. I guess it's bad from an environmental standpoint where we're generating more plastic for the environment and there might be, you know, chemicals leached into that water or microplastics. Okay, but if we ignore that part of it, the good thing it did is it started giving people options to stop drinking high sugary um, beverages. And so that in itself has really improved human health. You know, people stop drinking, you know, their liter of a, coca-cola 
during the day and they're now drinking, you know, water. And so that's definitely been a healthy substitution. Um, there are some myths out there that drinking water will help you lose weight. Well, water itself doesn't help you lose weight, but if you were a high sugary, high calorie drink user and you switch to water, that's why you have a diet benefit because you're not taking in those high calories and all that sugar anymore that your body had to handle. And so in that aspect, I think bottled water has been great um, for human health. But this whole idea that just drinking water will make you healthy um, is a little funny to me. Yes. So I have a scenario that I want you to talk me through what happens inside the body, like mechanisms and stuff. Okay. So... Like I said, I don't drink that much water regularly. I drink when I'm thirsty, but I'm a runner. I love to run. Mm. I run every other day and sometimes it's really hot or it's cold or whatever. I run. So after my run, I always uh, take a glass of electrolyte infused water. Yep. And I don't have to pee afterwards. And I feel yep. good. But the days when I don't drink the electro-infused water, I have to pee like the same amount that I drank, maybe like 15 minutes later. Okay. So the, it feels like the water is just going straight through me. Right. Okay. So in this situation, when you're... Um... When you're running, right, again, probably doesn't matter if you're hot or cold, but well, let's just for simplicity say it's a warmer day, you're going to sweat quite a bit. And what sweat is, sweat is not just a loss of water, but also a loss of salts. So as you're running, and let's just assume you're not drinking anything, like you said, you drink it at the end, you've lost a certain amount of salt and water due to your sweat. And so at the end of your run, you need to replenish both salt and water. Okay, to re return to balance. And so when you drink your electrolyte solution, that's what you're doing. You have salts and water. You drink it. Your kidney's going to reabsorb both those salts and water. And you're not going to excrete many of them, right? Because you're, you're replenishing what you lost. But in your other scenario where you're drinking just free water, what happens is, again, you drink this free water. It's reabsorbed by your gut increases it, it it expands your um increases the free water in your plasma but you didn't replenish any salts so what you end up doing is diluting your plasma more than you wanted to and so what happens is then again that's going to lower your plasma osmolality it's going to shut off vasopressin and your kidney is now going to excrete water and it's all because you needed to reabsorb salt and water but you only took um water free water so that's why it's, this is a good example of why it's important that anytime you're trying to replenish, you know, a volume loss, like from excess sweating or whatever, that you have both salt and water, the Cheez-Its and water or the Gatorade, the electrolyte solution, whatever it may be, because it's, it, you know, can lead to um, you losing more water, maybe a little salt in that water too. And what you really needed to do was hold on to both of those. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, it makes perfect sense. For me, of course, I'm a physiologist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I 
mean, you know, it's, it's, we, we, um, you know, anytime we lose, you know, it's pretty rare to just lose free water from our body, right? Like we're always going to be excreting some level of salt. And so it's really important that we replenish both compartments and not just, or both, both, um, constitu constituents, let's say, you know, you don't, it's pretty rare that you just need to replenish the water. And so that's why it's just easier. And let's say you take in a little too much salt. Like, let's say you, you really didn't need as many electrolytes as were in that um, bottle of fluid that you drank. Our kidneys are so good, again, in a healthy state to hold on to or release the salt. They will, over the next hour or so, get you back into balance. Exactly. Um, it, yeah. So we've been talking so much about salt and how uh, salt retention uh, grabs water with it. Yeah. But there's another molecule that not part of the sodium water balance, but still contributing uh, and binding a lot of fluid and dra dragging it with, uh, ah. with us up. And I'm talking about glucose. Okay. Yeah. So glucose. So what so I basically wanted to talk about was uh, since this diet is trending extremely much. So <laughs> I want to talk about ketosis. Okay, well, because so ketosis can yeah. really, really give you a headache because mm. of you're losing electrolytes. Yeah, so this is a subject, actually, this aspect of this, I don't know a lot about, but um, me neither, but we can speculate because we know the basics of renal physiology and sodium and water balance. Yeah, so glucose is an osmotically active particle. Um, you know, if you are a, a diabetic individual, unfortunately, you end up um, producing or releasing a lot of glucose in your urine. So at least at the level of kidney, if we talk about glucose, if, you know, glucose is freely filtered by our, our kidney, but normally our proximal tubules will reabsorb any glucose that is in that urine. Because again, glucose is a really important molecule that leads to the production of energy in our bodies. Um, and so you want to hold on to it, you know, but in the case of diabetes, there's so much glucose that is spilled into the urine that those transporters can't reabsorb it all. And that's why it ends up leaving our, leaving a diabetic person's body glucose, because it's osmotically active will keep water in that ultrafiltrate. Okay. And so one of the common side effects of having diabetes is that you have frequent urination. And that is in part due to the fact that you have all this glucose in your urine that is holding onto the water, like you said, and so you um, urinate it out. When you get to um, a low carbohydrate diet, like a keto diet, um, what happens is your body now, instead of storing glucose um, in, 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 in your fat system, you end up produce or breaking down fats as your source of energy. And so the idea is that instead of carbohydrates being broken down into glucose and being um, your energy source, that your fat stores are what get broken down. Um, but in that process, you produce all these ketones. And ketones also are osmotically active, from what I understand. And so anything that's osmotically active, again, kind of holds onto water, like you said. And so I guess I would speculate that in that, in, you know, those with a, uh, uh, on a keto diet or low carbohydrate diet, 
one of the first things they talk to you about um, in the early weeks of this diet is that you might have what's called, um, I think they called it the keto flu or something or low carb flu. Yes. And so it's these, this idea that, you know, you just don't feel well. And it's probably because you're excreting out excess water and salts that you, because of these ketones, right? Again, they're holding on to, to this water. We excrete them through our urine. You know, you can buy these dipsticks to, to test for these ketones in your urine. That's how you know you're in ketosis. And so what you end up doing is instead of properly reabsorbing water, you're now excreting it because um, these ketones are, are holding on to it. And so that, again, gives you these flu-like symptoms, these headaches, you know, maybe some dizziness. And so they tell you, you should maybe consume like a broth or something, you know, that is low carb, but has salt and water basically in it. And so by replenishing those salts and water that you're losing through your urine, through your ketosis, you're going to remain in balance. So I think that, I think that's the, the sort of the physiology behind it. And I completely agree. And I also think that there might be something else. Okay. Because, and you can tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong or if, if my ideas are mental, but yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of the sodium in the proximal tubule is absorbed yeah. with the sodium glucose co-transporter. Yes. So I assume that since we don't have any glucose, mm. this transporter won't reabsorb any sodium. Yeah, I think you're right. That's probably part of it as well. Um, you know, we have so many sodium transporters in our kidney. Uh, there are mechanisms downstream of the proximal tubule that in theory could perhaps compensate for that. Uh, I think you bring up a good question. I don't know what, you know, we know that the proximal tubule overall reabsorbs 60% of the sodium and water that is filtered isoosmotically in the, in the equal proportion. Um, but I don't know actually how much the sodium glucose um, co-transporters reabsorb. Do you? Is it, are no, they the I, majority I no, one? No, yeah. I have no idea how, yeah. how big their ratio are, yeah. is. But it's a really great hypothesis, really interesting idea that because you don't have that glucose, you can't reabsorb the sodium that way. Exactly. So you'll actually yeah. miss a lot of the proximal reabsorption yeah. just yeah. going downstream. And I mean, yeah. even if the distal tubule have compensatory mechanisms, yeah, they're mostly hormonally regulated. So yeah. it will take longer, a True. longer period of time and... Yeah. I'm not sure they're efficient enough right. for yeah. that type of, like you said, it's 60%. Yeah. It's like, don't we reabsorb in the normal state, like two kilograms of salt every right. day? Right. Yeah. 99.9% .9 of what filtered is filtered is reabsorbed. Yeah. It's crazy. So that, yeah, it's probably a lot of mechanisms acting together. Absolutely. But it's interesting. Yeah, very much. So do you feel like we have missed talking about something you want to add? No, I mean, um, I think we've touched on most of the important um, aspects of fluid electrolyte balance. I think, yes. you know, um, just things to remember that each person is different, um, especially if you have 
if you experience things like kidney stones, you know, you're counseled to drink more water because it kind of helps prevent the crystals from forming in your kidney. So always, you know, pay, you know, listen to your doctors, listen to your body. You know, your body's going to tell you, you know, you will crave salts if you, you need some salts. Um, you will definitely feel thirsty if you are thirsty. And just be mindful when you're drinking large, large amounts of, of free water, maybe go have a little snack so that your kidney can also reabsorb some salt so that you don't dilute your plasma osmolality too quickly. Um, I think everybody's fear of that we are chronically dehydrated is a little overstated. Absolutely, there are situations where we get dehydrated and there are definitely people who aren't drinking enough water. Um, but I think for the general population, the general healthy population, we're all probably drinking a little too much water, but that's okay. There's lots of studies to show that that's perfectly fine. And with healthy kidneys, they will help us remain in balance. Perfect. I am so thirsty right now. <laughs> I've been drinking the whole time. <laughs> okay, so I want to say thank you, Kelly, for this amazing talk. Yeah, of course. I love uh, talking about fluids and electrolytes, so anytime. Perfect. So thank you all for listening and hope to catch you again in two weeks. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram. Thank you and goodbye.